For those of you who don't know me, and perhaps all of you for wonder, wondering why I'm here, I'm Sherry Gilbert. I'm an elder here at Riverside. I've been a member of Riverside for 17 years. And why I'm here is Steve in the session asked me to preach this morning, and I'll be able to tell you at about 12.05 whether I thank them for that opportunity. I always wondered why Steve had water up here, and now I understand it's called dry throat and nerves. For a scripture, I have chosen an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. The Old Testament passage is very familiar, but it would be my hope that God's Spirit would speak to us through our hearts and minds and that we might hear a new word through this old word. I'm reading from the book of Genesis, the fourth chapter, the first 14 verses. Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore a son, saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of, him, of the first fruits of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings of his flock, the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offerings, but for Cain and his offerings, he had no regard. And so Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. And Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, and now you, have cursed, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive. You will be a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a wanderer and a fugitive on the earth, and anyone who sees me may kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance, and the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who came upon him would kill him. And then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which in Hebrew means the land of restless wandering, east of Eden. In our New Testament lesson, a few verses from the second chapter of Paul's letter to Rome, the first four verses. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. 
For in passing judgment on others, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. You say, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accord with truth. Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The word of the Lord. Apologies to John Steinbeck and his classic 1952 novel about a California family. I've used the title of his book as the title for our thinking together this morning. Steinbeck knew that the story of Cain describes something universal in human experience. It's not just a sad story of a pair of, of, a pair of brothers who didn't get along. It's not just a story about murder. It's not just a story about how things used to be at all. It's a story about how things are, a story about now. If you have ever felt you have moved away from God or that God is no longer present in your life, if you've ever been loaded down with heavy burdens you would like to forget and they just won't go away, if you have ever left some good things and good times and good people behind you and you know you never can go back there again, if you've ever wondered restlessly without really knowing where it is you want to go, this story is about you. You don't have to be a murderer to live in the land of restless wondering. For some of us here this morning, East of Eden is a current address. Maybe everybody lives there, at least some of the time. The ancient story of Cain tells us where this East of Eden experience comes from. It comes from broken relationships, broken relationships between people and people, broken relationships between people and God. In fact, the story suggests that our relationship to other people is the place where our relationship to God either gets celebrated or broken. And that's worth thinking about. As you read the story of Cain, you begin to wonder, well, just whose fault is it that these relationships get broken? Is Abel to blame because he is God's favorite and he knows it and he lets Cain know that he knows it? Is God to blame for making Abel look good and Cain look bad without telling either one of them ahead of time what the rules of the game are? I've heard all kinds of explanations why God approved Abel's offering and did not approve Cain's, but I've never heard one that satisfies me. It just sounds unfair. How can you blame Cain for getting hot under the collar when he sees Abel having all the luck 
and God apparently playing favorites. Relationships get put under pressure in many different ways. But this one is a classic. One of you feels cheated, left out, disheartened, put down, and jealous of the good deal the other is getting. So far, I think I'm on Cain's side. It doesn't surprise me at all that he was very angry or that his countenance fell. Your face can be a good mirror of what is happening inside of you. And in this case, something drastic is beginning to happen inside Cain. What is going on out there is changing Cain in here. You can see it in his eyes, in his mouth, every line of his face. I don't understand why God treated Cain and Abel the way he did. That's my problem. But the story calls my attention to something else. The Lord notices right away that Cain is in trouble. God sees what is in Cain's face like an incredibly close friend. And he comes to him and gets in touch. Cain, what's the matter? What's going inside of you? I know you're under pressure, Cain, but everything depends on what you decide to do about it. You can still be the person you want to be and the person I want you to be, no matter what anybody else does. Or you can decide to let this rage you feel take control of you. Cain, something called sin is just outside the door, crouching down like a lion in ambush. It's up to you to handle it. Sin is not a particularly glamorous word, but this story makes us take a second look at what sin is. As I understand it, the sin Cain is tempted to commit is, first of all, a sin against himself. Before he ever makes a move against Abel, before he ever breaks any of the Sunday school rules about how we ought to behave, Cain is tempted to do violence to his own personhood. The question is whether he will let the pressures that come from the outside destroy the person he wants to be inside. And that is a question you and I face every day. Part of the crisis in any relationship comes from the way people treat us. Very often we don't have any control over that at all. But the other part of any crisis in relationship is how we choose to deal with it, with our own feelings, with our own self. Will you let what happens out there tear you up inside? Will you let it change the kind of person you want to be? Will your anger and hurt not only break off relationship with someone else, will you also let it destroy your relationship with yourself? Will you begin to think and say and do things you despise in other people? And those are questions only you can decide. Everyone knows how Cain decides. 
he chooses the ultimately wrong way to deal with broken relationships. He gives free reign to the worst in him, and he just wipes Abel out. And that, says the story, is basically why Cain came to live in the land of restless wandering east of Eden. It's not just that Cain has been murdered. That was Cain's second sin. The first sin was a sin against himself. He decided to become the kind of person he himself could not stand. Angry, jealous, vindictive, arrogant, self-pitying, and recklessly destructive. It's a fascinating diagnosis of why so many people wander east of Eden. You don't have to commit murder to have that feeling. You may even feel you are the innocent party by any ordinary standard. You may have been hurt far worse than you have ever hurt anyone else. You may even feel justified in becoming the person you have become. But the story of Cain tells us that we have a responsibility for ourselves, no matter what happens to us from the outside. The question of who to blame is never as important as the kind of people we decide to be under pressure. Now, if that is the end of the story, it leaves most of us in in a sad situation. Because it's not just that we hurt each other. We let what happens determine what kind of people we're going to be. And so we strike out in hurt and anger. And we hurt people and return and get hurt by them again. And that says the story of Cain is why so many of us are living in the land of restless wandering east of Eden. But thank God that is not where the story ends. So far we've been talking about Cain and how he decides to handle a crisis in relationship. But now Abel lies murdered and God faces a colossal crisis. How will God respond to Cain? Cain has not only committed murder as a technique for solving personal problems, he has also assaulted God by rejecting any and all responsibility for being his brother's keeper. We hear Cain screaming out in pain and all about all of this ruthlessness and the world he has chosen for himself. But never in the story do we hear a word that indicates grief for Abel or concern about God or respect for himself. And now God must decide how to deal with such a person. And what a glorious decision God makes. It's the same decision God makes about all of us East of Eden people. It has to do with what Paul calls the kindness and the forbearance and the patience of God. It is all there in one mysterious detail of this strange story. It's so easy to miss, so easy to misunderstand. You hear about some kind of mark God stamps on Cain. All kinds of questions crowd in. No one has ever found answers for them. But please don't let that keep you from hearing the great good news that there is for Cain, for all of the East of Eden people, for all of us. God has taken his stand on the side of the murderer, This man who has placed his own vengeful arrogance above God or his brother or anything else. Cain may have quit caring about God, 
But God has not quit caring about Cain. God has branded him with the indelible mark of his love and claimed him as his own. God has made Cain's life sacred and announced to the world that he intends for Cain to live. That doesn't mean that God approves of what Cain has done. God lets him know exactly how things stand before him. Before him, The word is tough, it's hard. Cain will have to live with the consequences of the fruitful and destructive life he has chosen. But then comes the electrifying word of God's acceptance. No matter what Cain has done to Abel or to himself or to God, God has chosen to stand by him and hold open for him the possibility of life. If you are an East of Eden person like I am, that's the greatest single piece of good news you can hear. Approval and acceptance are not the same thing with God. There may be broken relationships behind us and heavy memories we would like to forget, There may be good things and good times and good people back there we can never recover again. We may live in the land of restless wondering. We may even feel that we have moved away from God or that God somehow isn't around. But the story of Cain tells us that God is right there beside us where we live, east of Eden, branding us with the mark of his acceptance and offering us life. More than anything else, I believe Christian faith is simply a matter of sensing the incredible acceptance of God when we least expect it and accepting God's acceptance of us. You no longer confuse acceptance with approval. The important thing now is not what lies behind you, but what lies ahead in your life. You may still be wondering, but God but now you know you have some place to go. You begin building relationships instead of breaking them. You begin to realize that who you are in the inside is more important than what happens to you from the outside. And you begin to let people know honestly what you cannot approve, but refusing at the same time to withdraw your acceptance from them as persons. And above all, you begin to accept yourself. Not because you approve of everything you've done, but because you know God is beside you, right where you are. He has placed his mark of acceptance upon you, and your life is sacred. For Christians, the brand of God upon us is the sign of the cross. Through Jesus Christ, God has accepted us as we are, and he loves us with an everlasting love. When you accept that, you may still find yourself living east of Eden. It's not the place you would choose to be, but the land of restless wandering looks different to you now. You know you're not intended to stay there forever. God has placed his mark upon you with the sign of the cross. And he has made the country east of Eden the place to begin.